0: Welcome to the Riverwood Chapel podcast. We're so excited you're here. Please check out our other content and video uploads at riverwoodchapel.org. Thank you. Well, today we're going to have a conversation about America's favorite pastime, which is not, by the way, baseball, but rather people watching. Who likes to people watch? Yeah, we got a lot of people watchers out there. This past week, I asked our very astute staff, where are the places that are best for people watching? You probably have your own opinions, but I'll just throw out a few that our staff came up with. Number one on that list was Cedar Point. As you're standing in line watching people go through the turnstile with you hour upon hour, the things you see and notice in the people around you, that's one area. Uh, someone also mentioned uh, the fair. Uh, we had a Summit County Fair, and now in a few weeks, we will have, I don't know why we called it the Randolph Fair, but it's Portage County Fair. Anyone knows the answer to that, you can talk to me afterwards. I'm not quite sure why we called that. But there's another moment of fair. Uh, even last hour, someone came up to me afterwards and said, yes, there was great people watching. They had just spent the weekend at the Twins Fair in Twinsburg, And then you see lots of twins and triplets and even quadruplets walking around but the one that really rose to the top the answer that people kept saying over and over again was the airport the airport is great people watching as you see people come and go i've had that experience too you're in the security line and you notice things about people And next thing you know, you're walking in the same direction as those people. And the next thing you know, wow, they're on the same flight as me. All these interesting things we learn about people. We're people watchers by nature. But here's the one thing that hit me. As I was asking people about people watching, here's the other reality. People are watching us, and they're watching me. And then as people were talking about airports, I then had this this kind of flashback to an airport memory I had. So there I was, uh, leading some high schoolers on a mission trip down in Mexico. And on one day, we had decided that everybody's going to buy, uh, different people were buying hats. Okay, everyone buys a hat. And, um, and so then I decided to wear my hat on the airplane the next day, all the way through. Now, here's a picture of the hat I was wearing. Yes, I am the person in the back with the sombrero. So... You can imagine walking through. What were people wondering about the guy in the sombrero walking through the airport? I'm not quite sure. Um, But there I was. The funniest part of that story is, you know, you get on an airplane with all these teenagers. I'm the last one. I turn the corner onto the plane only to find my college roommate sitting on the plane. He's looking at me like, what is going on? Though he wasn't that surprised. (laughs) All right. But... The interesting thing about people-watching is the question of why do we like to people-watch? And here's the, the answer to that. We like to notice people who aren't like us, uh, people that are doing odd things that might not wear the same things we wear. We, we are drawn to that. And I would use the word, we are intrigued. There is intrigue in watching certain people. And so we're going to use that same kind of metaphor, that same kind of idea to talk about what is in our own lives, uh, because people are watching, they're noticing, they're seeing the intrigue, and many times the intrigue causes us to ask deeper questions like, what's the real story going on there? Well, all of us have a story going on, but the real question is, what do people see? Even when it comes to the deeper things of our spiritual walk, we are telling a story to the world. And so the question we're really going to answer this morning is, what should people be seeing? Are they seeing something of intrigue? And I would even say Jesus Christ intrigue. Christ-like intrigue is something the text that we're going to look at is going to challenge us in. I'm glad you're here. This is going to be a great moment of challenge as we examine God's Word together. If you're brand new to our church, a very special welcome. We've been walking through just one chapter of the Bible this summer, Psalm 119. Um, It has 176 verses. It's very, very long. And so we've been going moment by moment. We call them strophes. That's how it's kind of broken down. We're following a Hebrew alphabet. It's very poetic. And uh, we now find ourselves in the letters of Ayin and Pei, and we are going to then see what's going on in the text. And as I read God's word to us this morning, I'm going to read all of these different these two strophes, be looking to see like what is it, what does the writer want people to notice, what does he want them to watch in his life? Remember, he is on the long road to Babylon. Uh, As a captive, he left home. Now he's going to have to find a new home. And now he wants to say this. This is his heart's reflection. What does he want people to see? This is the word of God, starting in verse 121. I have done what is just and right. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Give your servant a pledge of good. Let not the insolent oppress me. My eyes long for your salvation and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. Deal with your servant according to your steadfast love and teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. It is time for the Lord to act, for your law has been broken. Therefore, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Therefore, I consider all your precepts to be right. I hate every false way. Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It it imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. Keep steady my steps according to your promise, and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Redeem me from man's oppression, that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant, and teach me your statutes. My eyes shed streams of tears, because people do not keep your law." The American poet, Edgar Allan Poe, he wrote a short story early in the 1800s. It's a very short story. It's called The Man of the Crowd. Uh, the short story is, goes something like this. He is in a coffee shop in London, and as he's sipping on his coffee, he's watching the crowds go by. And as he watches the crowds go by, he has figured out every single person. He notices their clothes. He notices their gestures. He can even pinpoint most likely their occupation just by watching them until he sees the man of the crowd. And he is perplexed by this man. So much so, he leaves everything in the coffee shop and he now is following him on the streets. He wants to know more about this perplexing man, he can't figure him out. Is he brilliant or is he not? Is he generous or is he stingy? Everything about him is very perplexing. He is living a paradox of sorts, even down to his clothes. His clothes are very fine linens, but they are worn very thin. Who is this man? And so he follows him. He is intrigued by him. He can't figure him out. And that's exactly what's happening here in Psalm 119 in these two strokes. There is intrigue. There is paradox that the author wants us to see. He wants us to notice this idea of living paradoxically. That there are three of them he's going to point us to. That when you live these, it will cause the world to say, I need to know more. I'm going to follow that person. I can't figure them out. Just by looking, there's something going on. There's a deeper story I want to know about that person's life. And so there are going to be three paradoxes we're going to look at, and they're going to challenge all of us in how we are living, what are people seeing, and what are they noticing. The first paradox is simply love and hate. Love and hate. Well, how are those playing together in the text. Well, let's look and see what he loves. Verse 127, he comes right out and he says this, Therefore, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Now, if you've been following our series this summer, This is the most obvious truth of Psalm 119. It teaches us that the author has a deep love for the Word of God. So much so, he's using all of these synonyms, the commandments, the statutes, the promises, the precepts, the testimonies. He's very poetic in how he has displayed his love for the Word of God. So what is really behind this love? Does he love the the wisdom it brings? Does he love the understanding it provides? Is it the right thinking that it offers? Is, Is that what he's in love with? Well, that's part of it. But really what he is in love with is how the word of God, and we've been saying this week after week, it points us to have a relationship with this God of the universe. Yahweh wants to have a relationship with us. We've been made in his likeness, in his likeness and in his idea of what he meant to be humanity. We are bearers. We are bearers of his image. And it goes all the way back to Genesis. And that is the same God who wants to have a relationship with us. Remarkable. And so his word draws us into that kind of relationship. And that's what he really, really is in love with. In verse 130, he says it this way. He says, The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Now, it's this kind of word picture that I love. It's very poetic. This week we were looking at it as a staff. It's it's like this idea right here. The unfolding of the flower and how the unfolding of it, the process of the flower unfolding is beautiful. And you don't want to miss any part of it. And there is a patience in the unfolding flower. You see, in our American lives, we like, let's get to the open flower. Give me the bottom line. What do I need to know? What are the answers? But that's not how God is. He wants to enter into a patient relationship with you, to walk with you. And it's like an unfolding flower. It's a beautiful picture. Patient, patient, patient relationship. That's what he loves about God. All right, so that's what he loves. That's one side of the paradox, but but there's something on the other side as well that is very intriguing. Notice what he says in verse 128. He's very clear. He says, Therefore, I consider all your precepts to be right, and then he says it, I hate every false way. See, as he spends time with the Word of God, with the unfolding nature of God's words in his life, it's then making other things very apparent that there are false ways, that there are lies, that there is confusion, that there is chaos. And as he walks in the world, he's noticing more and more of this kind of messaging. Well, isn't that a lot like the world that we face as well? There are false ways. There are lies. There is chaos. And so he sees this, and he hates it. He even, you can kind of feel the, the anger in verse 126. He says, It is time for the Lord to act, for your law has been broken. All right, so here is the paradox. Uh, for the Christian, the follower of Yahweh, to love the Word in one hand, and to hate the false ways in the other. And see, I'm convinced that if we are loving God's Word, and wanting to go into a relationship with Him, and hating the false messaging, because it is detracting from that relationship to know God, when we are doing those things of love and hate, it is very intriguing. The world will take notice and be like, why are you living like that? You see, it's when we then bring these things more to the middle, they become less intriguing. When we become the kinds of people who are like, oh, God's word, it's, it's okay, it's all right, Or if we become the kinds of people who don't really hate the messaging and the false things the world and our culture wants to tell us if we're kind of okay with it we then get into this blasé lukewarmness and what is intriguing about that nothing nothing is intriguing and so this is the paradox how do you love the word of god and how do you I hate the messaging of the world. I don't know about you. I hate the things that are being said in culture. I hate them. The world wants to define marriage. It wants to tell you what gender is all about. It wants to tell you what your your identity should be found in. And it's rooted all in what you want. And I hate it. I hate it. Because I see what it's doing. I see what it's doing in the landscape of our country. I see what it's doing in the landscape of young people in our country. It is drawing them away from a relationship with Yahweh and with Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but I hate it. Passionately hating it. And so that is the dichotomy. How do do we hate those things and love the Word of God? See, that's intriguing, When people watch that kind of narrative in your life, they're going to say, there's something unique going on there. I don't know what it is, but I want to know more about how you can winsomely love the Word of God and hate the false ways of this world. It's paradox number one. And there are lots of questions surrounding. I'll throw out some of them. Uh, Do we really love the Word of God so much so that people are seeing that in us? And that love of the word of God brings us into a love of God himself. Are we allowing it to patiently unfold in our our lives and speak truth to us? Are we passionate about that? Do people actually see the hatred that we have for the world's ways? Or do we kind of just give it a pass and move on? I mean, these are the things we need to wrestle with. Our world is desperate to see something They want to hear a story, a narrative. This is the narrative that is Christ-like intrigue, how this plays out. All right, so let's move on to paradox number two. There's, There's two more paradoxes that we can live to be seen. The next one is, notice what the author says in 121. He says, I have done what is just and right. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Now, at first glance, you read these words and you think, the author, I mean, he's really kind of thinks he has it all together. You can even read some kind of arrogance, proclaiming. Uh, he's making all the right decisions. He's choosing righteousness and, and justice. And there's a religious piousness. And... He, it's almost like you could say, like, I'm better than you, kind of righteousness. And that's one part of the equation. Even Jesus addressed that we should be people who care deeply about righteousness in the right way. He gave an example. He told a, a parable in the Gospels about righteousness even. Do you remember he had a parable when he's talking about the tax collector and the Pharisee? And he was hearing from them, and he kind of listens in on the Pharisee and what he was praying. Do you remember what he was praying? He was like, Dear God, thank you so much that I am not like that guy over there. Oh, thank you, thank you. And he gives a long list of the people he didn't want to be like. All the people who take money from people, all the adulterers, and of course, this tax collector. Glad I'm not like him. That's not the kind of righteousness that Jesus was speaking about. That kind of, I call, snooty righteousness isn't intriguing. It's actually off-putting to think, like, you're better and, okay, so what is the other part of the paradox then? If we are to be people who care about righteousness and right living and, and walking with the Lord, well, the second part of the paradox is humility. Notice the word that's very... It's repeated three times in in this psalm. Verse 122, he says, Give your servant a pledge of good. Let not the insolent oppress me. Deal with your servant according to your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimony. See, here is the, the paradox True righteousness is clothed with humility. It's not a snooty like, I'm always right, but it is a humility that realizes we're broken. We're broken and we mess up, and many times we take two steps back. And we struggle in this world because we have a sin nature that is a part of our lives. Yet, in the midst of that, we are people who want to look more like Jesus Christ. We are people who desire to be growing in our relationship with Him. That's what the author is really pinpointing, that we are a church, that we are people who realize what Christ has done, and now we want to walk with Him and become more like Him. And there is a, a big church word that talks about this conversation, and it's the word of sanctification. Sanctification is to, comes from the word idea of sanctify, to be more holy. And that is really what Christ calls us to do. As the Spirit is dwelling inside of us, we now take our steps to look more like Him every day. And we realize that we're broken we realize that we don't have it all, all the answers to everything, but we are desperately clinging close to his gospel and to his truth. And the trajectory of our lives should be growing in Christ's likeness. The Apostle Paul says it the best in Romans. Notice what he says. The paradox of righteousness and humility is woven into this passage out of Romans. He says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For if you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. There it is, the paradox. Walking in Christ-like righteousness in humility. And so the world is looking to see, are you that snooty, righteous church person? Or do you really have a transparency that sees your brokenness that's being molded and transformed and and shaped? The psalmist, now going back to the psalmist, he brings this this paradox to light in verse 132. He, He says it this way. Keep steady my steps... According to your promise, keep steady my steps. I realize that my steps may be faltering. I got that. And let no iniquity get dominion over me. Oh, it's refreshing. It's intriguing to have that kind of admittance that he's broken, he realizes his steps could be unsteady and he realizes that sin is very close to overtaking him. He wants to honor the Lord with his life, though. All right, paradox number two. There it is, this idea of righteousness and humility. What's the world seeing in that? Paradox number one, love and hate. Are they seeing that? There's a third paradox that I think might be even the most intriguing to the world around us. Notice what he says in verse 123. He says, My eyes long for your salvation and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. All right, so the life... Of the one in a growing relationship with God has his eyes fixed, this is what I'm calling, on that day. If you notice this morning, we even sang songs like that. Like our eyes are fixed on the hope that we have on that day. On that day, there will be no more tears. On that day, there will be no more suffering. On that we talk a lot about that kind of, of hope that we have. It brings comfort because we know the world is fading. We know that, right? The the world is fading. This is not our home. There are many things that are broken in this world. Everything is breaking down and deteriorating, and it is all headed that direction. Yet, we are people who have our eyes fixed on that day, and there will be a fulfillment of your righteous promise. His eyes are, are longing for that day. The New Testament talks about this over and over again, that we can have hope in the things of that day where moth and rust can't devalue, where thieves can't break in and and steal something. These things are secure. Your relationship with God is, is secure. He knows your name. He knows his sheep. And on that day, you will be with him. And there are many things in this world that bring that conversation to the forefronts. And I know that even many in our congregation are walking through very difficult things of their own health, and even diagnoses that are very, very hard. And that is palpable. It's on the front page of your life. And I know for many, they are looking to that day that you can cling to that brings comfort and hope. All right, so we have our eyes on that day, but we're not just people who are looking at our watches saying, I'm just putting my time in until that day. Notice what also the psalmist says in verse 136. He says this, not only do his his, his eyes on that day, but then he says this, my eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. It's like he has one eye on that day and one eye on this day. So what is about this day that is so intriguing? Well, on this day, notice what's happening. He is shedding tears. Why is he shedding tears? Because people... Do not keep your law. Now think about this. These are most likely his enemies, people who are taking him away. And as he's walking to Babylon, he is looking at their lives, and he is shedding tears for them. He has compassion on these people. Why? 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 Is it because they're not keeping the law? No, because we know they're not keeping the law that draws them into a relationship with Yahweh they are missing out on the, something that's greater than a pot of gold. And this is very significant. As he is living in this day, he is shedding tears for the lost. It, it, it wrecks him that people don't know God. It bothers him. He looks out at those around And there is something of compassion that he has for them. It's not like, oh, you'll figure it out. Too bad for you. No, he sheds tears for them. He's broken over the people who aren't following the law of Yahweh that leads to Yahweh himself. That's why Jesus (laughs) in the New Testament would use three stories on top of each other to bring out this truth as well. The heart of our God is for lost coins, for lost sheep, and for lost sons. He has a deep love. Our our God sheds tears for the lost. And so should we. It should wreck us, the people in our families that don't know the Lord. It should bother us, the people we work with who don't know Him, our next-door neighbors. We should... We should be wrecked in a very good way to shed tears of compassion because they are missing something that they desperately need. And so, as we look at these three paradoxes, there's an obvious question with each one of them. What are, what are people seeing? What do people see? Do they see this kind of intrigue or are they seeing something that's not that interesting? You see, when we are living Christ-like intrigue with these paradoxes, the world is is noticing something. Why do you shed tears for people who, who are your enemies? Why would you do that? Let me tell you why. Why do you choose to walk in righteousness and, and make decisions when everybody else isn't? Let me tell you. How can you winsomely hate these, the things of this world, yet you love the Word of God? How, how do you balance that? What would it, let me tell you. What kind of intrigue are you causing in people's lives when they look at you? And when I ask that question, I'm asking myself this, because there's one of these paradoxes that has hit me squarely in the eye that I need to be wrestling with in greater ways. But what is the Lord bringing to your attention? And what is He bringing to the attention of, of our church? What kind of people are we really? My encouragement to Riverwood is this. Let's be intriguing. Let's be intriguing. Let me pray for us. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word that challenges us to be different We want to be different, not just because we want to be odd people, but we want to be odd people for the reasons of your kingdom. We want people to notice how great our God is. And you use people who live the paradoxes of the gospel to do exactly that. That people will see our lives and and notice something different. And may that be true of everyone here, whether there's someone who is a, a stay-at-home mom, maybe there's someone who owns their own business, maybe there's people who are going to be walking high school hallways soon, maybe there's some in this room who are going to be on college campuses. Wh- whatever the, the narrative might be, may we be the kinds of people who cause intrigue for the cause of Christ wherever we go. Please. Please. May the Spirit convict us and help us take those kinds of steps even today. We pray this by the power of your Son's name. Amen.